Hi, I'm Carlos Kina, founding partner of Beyond the Deal, BTD for short, and this is our podcast series titled Beyond the Deal, Making Sense of M&A, Divestments, and Alliances. At BTD, we help smart and savvy organizations design, plan, and manage M&A integrations, separations, and alliances for themselves, and through this, get as much long-term value from the deal as possible. Based on 20 years of experience across more than 150 international engagements, we've made the process as simple, discreet, and modular as possible to reflect our clients' needs today and in the future. This podcast series will help guide you through the challenges and unknowns of M&A, integrations, divestments, separations, and alliances, bringing expertise and best practice from our team and other expert practitioners in our network. Our aim for each podcast is to provide you with practical, helpful nuggets, ideas, new perspectives, and things to do to support your own upcoming deals. We hope you finish each podcast with something new you hadn't considered before that will help you, your team, and your business be more successful. If you like our podcasts, please share, comment, or subscribe to our channel. BTD, from pre-deal to post, we help you go beyond the deal. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. This is Carlos Kina, uh, founding partner of Beyond the Deal, or BTD for short, uh, and welcome to a new series of podcasts that we're running in which we're going to be introducing the Beyond the Deal team. Uh, really pleased to be joined by uh, our newest partner, but one of uh, my oldest colleagues and friends, Nick Palmer. Uh, good to see you, Nick. Hello, Carlos. Good to be with you. Uh, so, um, for those of you who may not have uh, read the blog post that we put out on this a few days ago. The intent of these is really just to provide a sort of rough sketch uh, of uh, each of the team members and just get a, a bit of an idea of what makes them tick uh, and how they all, they all kind of contribute together to uh, to make up BTD and what we do for people. So, so Nick, um, I mean, we've known each other actually for quite a while and um, without wanting to be too indelicate, you are, let's say, one of the uh, more senior members of the team. Uh, you, you've certainly had, and I've always admired the the professional experience that you've had, uh, even though, uh, interestingly, where you started and where I started have some similarities. But one one of the things that I've always noticed about myself as well as others, I think, is that you'd never be able to to plan it ahead of time, uh, how you get from A to B. But somehow over time, people seem to kind of ultimately end up doing the job they want to do. They gravitate towards the place they want to be. So... If and assuming you kind of agree with that, I guess what I'd be interested in knowing is, by way of a, a short history, but uh, with a purpose, if you look back over your career, how, how did you get from there to here? Well, I think for my first reaction to, to the way you framed it, I think people may end up where they, you know, where they belong, but part of that is part of the journey shapes you know, what fits for a person. You know, yeah. There are people, you know, I've got I've got friends from business school who took a particular position right out of business school and who are still in that company doing that same job today. And one of them in venture capital, for example, is you know, has spent over 35 years at the same company doing the same thing. And you know, he knew right away. Um, in my case, I think it was much more, um, I was less clear about what I really wanted to do. I think I spent too much time wanting to fit into particular positions saying gee i want to be one of those as opposed to asking the more fundamental question is what is it i want to do and i don't i don't think those are, are necessarily the same thing you know in my case chemical engineer um you know 
loved problem solving, have always loved problem solving and loved complex problem solving. Um, got into that kind of a position and realized that in fact, it was an administrative role in a lot of places, but certain aspects of it I liked. Uh, never planned to go to business school, um, but as I, uh, as my career at Union Carbide played out over the first two or three years, and then I moved into a business role, realized, gee, there's a lot of stuff here um, that it would be useful to understand and, and get some coaching from a few execs to, to go that way. In business school, I was expo exposed to a, a brave new world um, and an exciting new world with consulting and investment banking didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, nothing wrong with investment banking. It just didn't seem something that was intriguing to, to my own fit. Um, and, and took the McKinsey position. Um, and it was fun and it was exciting. Um, got to do a lot of really neat things and got to really excel at certain things. And certain other things I found extraordinarily difficult or you know, just, just not a, a, a fit for myself. Mm. So I took the strange trip of going back and becoming a doctoral student, thinking what I wanted to do was teach. Um, again, very interesting, but it, it, it still wasn't hitting the chime. So unlike someone who's who's been more directed, I think for me it was more this discovery is going on. Gee, what is it I like to do? Um, went to Accenture and that's where I moved into a group called Organization Strategy. And that was where I really began to see what I was good at coming together with what I liked to do. Because, you know, that's really the, 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 the ideal, you know, the sweet spot, so to speak. And, and the whole issue was there was it, it's great to have plans. But how do you configure your company to realize those plans? And not just to realize those plans in the short term, but to realize those plans uh, over the long term, um, to be able to adapt as technologies change and things like that. And, and what is it about how people and organizations fit together? And it, it began to occur to me then that one of the things I was personally particularly good at was taking lots of disparate stuff from lots of disparate places, whether it be industrial organization, economics, or behavioral theory, or just personal experience, and put them together into a more comprehensive way of looking at things and, and yeah, to be able to look at things else. through a series. That's right. It, so what, what I wasn't interested in, and wasn't particularly good at, um, although I kept trying to fit myself into it, was the detailed program project management type tasks. Um, you know, as you well know, you know, one of my shortcomings, and I, I would, I would, I'm ceasing to call it a shortcoming and beginning to recognize it as a characteristic is, um, I'm not really good when I'm scripted, and I'm not really good at uh, at managing to a detailed project plan. But when I'm on a team that is doing that, uh, it can be very, very powerful. And as I say, the, the thing that I fought, and I, I strongly counsel younger folks coming up, and younger being sometimes in their 40s and even 50s is to be honest with themselves about the things that they're less good at and view them less as shortcomings and more as, okay, well, that's interesting. You know, she's really good at this and I'm not. And I really don't care to be because I tried to force myself into that project management role, which as you well know from a firm like Accenture is something that the place tries to do because that's what it's exceptionally good at. Um, and so I guess my career has been marked by a lot of discovery along the way. And finally, the realization that, you know, the things I'm particularly good at, um, when put with the other right, other correct moving pieces are great. Um, and yeah. it can be fun and it can be exciting. And, and so you sort of said, how does it, how does it bring me to being in the role I'm at at BTD? I don't want to say I stumbled into it, but I think what I would say is, you know, I gradually came to a, a higher level of awareness of the kind of people I need to be with. 
Um, you know, we all have things that excite us. We all have things that annoy us. Uh, when one's honest with oneself about what those are, and I, I'm getting increasingly honest with myself, uh, one realizes, you know, a, a lot of the times where I was not successful at a firm, it was not that there was anything wrong. It was just that the fit wasn't there. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's a hard thing to come to grips with because you know, too often we, we cast it as success or failure. But I think I ended up because I, I ended up with a bunch of people who appreciate what I'm good at and understand what I'm not so good at, um, who bring those complementary capabilities. Um, but, but an awful lot of it has to do with the people. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a very trivial or a sort of a, a, a throwaway sense. I mean, it, it really takes... For me personally, I need to be someplace where I can be kind of a bull in a china shop and people don't take it personally. Um, you know, there are other people who are not that way. Um, you know, I need to be at a place where ideas do matter and sometimes people are willing to take a step back rather than a, a pure delivery place. Um, and there's a place for pure delivery. You know, I wouldn't be a great plumber because I'd always be thinking about how the piping could be run better. Um, you know, and, and I think BTD is an ideal spot for me because in its genesis, when you founded this firm, it was about doing the mechanical stuff thoughtfully, if I could trivialize what you did. Yeah. It's about not just doing program management and project management, but doing it in a way that constantly, but not too much, takes account of the broader situation and what the bigger goals are. Yeah, and so it's been kind of fun for me. I, you know, I and I feel like, and there's an emotional side to this. I feel like I am a a worthwhile valued is one thing, but but I think I'm a worthwhile piece of the mix here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and for I mean, me we, personally, that that's that's important. Yeah, I mean, we we've talked about this sort of offline many times, but I think you know the the thing that makes the partnership work and the teamwork is not that we're all the same or we all have exactly the same skill set. It's because we're all in fact very different. Uh, and it's that complementary nature that, that really makes it work. And that's certainly one of the things I've valued. Um, one of the many things that you've really brought to this over the last year or so is helping shine a spotlight on and clarify the thinking around how we tailor our work with something we've been doing for decades. Um, but you were the one who put your finger on it um, really quickly. I, I think that's right. And I think on the corresponding side is I'm now surrounded by colleagues who are very good at diving down into the detailed stuff. Um, and that we, we work in a well-coordinated fashion to do that. Um, so, you know, no, I'm not managing the Gantt chart nor even managing the manager of the Gantt chart. Um, but those are all critical things because those activities have to happen. And, and what I've learned coming from alliances to a more M&A setting um, in many cases is that that diligence is absolutely critical to, to getting value out of things. Um, that that you know, if you're not paying attention to people getting their paychecks week one after day one, um, you're going to have a whole lot of problems that have nothing to do with synergies or grand visions. Uh, you're going to have a rebellion on your hands. Right. And BTE has has done a nice job of striking a balance between being able to help clients through those detailed pieces while, you know, it, it's yeah. running while looking ahead. Um, you know, and I, I feel like I'm a part of that and a, contri a strongly contributing part of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me let me take you back a little bit. Um, I mean, when when we met, which, if I remember correctly, was in 2006. Uh, it sounds like your your cat would like to be part of this as well. Don't yeah. worry about that. I wish <laughs> she wouldn't. <laughs> um, but uh, 
Yeah, when when we were both at Accenture in 06, you were part of a group that was called Organizational Strategy. Now, I know, Nick, full well that one of the, one of the many ways to to get your um, your hair standing on end is to start talking about strategy and uh, strategic thinking, especially if there's no plan put behind it. So, I mean, what what do you think of as organizational strategy? Is it a reasonable label to have attached to what you do? Uh, yeah. What does it mean to you? Yeah, it, it, I do think it's a good, I, I, as a matter of fact, I like the label, despite, you know, my reaction to the word strategy goes back to the fact that you know, a strategy is a thing a firm has, not a thing a person has, or a, you know, a, so I, I'm kind of a purist, as you well know, when it comes to using terms like that. Um, but you remind me of a little debate I had with one of the members of that organization strategy group. And he was arguing we should be doing a whole lot more about strategy formulation and, and those types of things. He said, well, we're called organization strategy, damn it. You know, so we have to have something, to, you know, we have to be doing strategy too. I said, well, yeah, Taco Bell is called Taco Bell, but I've never seen a bell in Taco Bell. Um, <laughs> so I think it's the, the, the two words being together that matter a whole lot. And as I say, it is, for me, organizational strategy is the difference between great ideas and great results and sustainable results. Um, and it's practical. I mean, maybe to go back quickly to my undergraduate years, I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, which by the way, for all the UKers, is the oldest English language engineering school in the world, 1824, <laughs> take, take that UK. Um, but our RPI had a, um, was, was principally engineering, about 80% engineering, but they also yeah. had an architecture school that was very, very highly regarded. And the reason it was so highly regarded was the architects were all required to take civil engineering courses. Mm. Um, and so they were practical architects in addition to being visionary. And you could argue that maybe they weren't the world's most creative, but they were very heavily s recruited and sought after because they came in with basic understanding of structural methods and construction management and things like this that many other architects who came from more of an artistic, creative background didn't have. They can, they um, can design likewise, something that would actually work. Right. And, and, and that model is the way I think about organization strategy, which is it's, it, you can, in, in the classroom, you can have great ideas. Um, I have met very few stupid executives in my time. Very few. Um, they can be very creative in things. The, the bigger question is, how do you manifest that? And, and then, you know, then, then the, the mistake is, well, you know, are people machines? That's why you've heard my rants about things like matrix management. Yeah. No, people aren't machines. And, and what I find it, it's a, a wonderful blend of how do you take a big idea and mobilize and, and organize a company in a way that it can fulfill that mission when you're dealing with human beings and politics and organizational routines and market demands and all of those things. And I just find it a, a fascinating puzzle. So I'm not, I'm not at all happy with the term organization strategy, and I, I continue to use it to this day. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, obviously, that, that's another thing that makes you a good fit from a, a technical experience background with, with what we do, because an awful lot of what we do is the execution of organizational change to deliver inorganic growth goals, be that M&A uh, alliance or whatever. So, uh, yeah, as ever in hindsight, and, and, it all makes sense. Well, yeah, and as you, you and I talk about with clients quite frequently, um, the, the constants in M&A, and it's true in alliances to a degree as well, is, is fear, uncertainty, and too little time. Um, and fear and uncertainty, and even to some extent time pressure, are not so much objective, you know, hard 
things as they are attitudinal things and, and people's attitudes towards those things and ability to manage those and senior management's ability to help people through those situations mm. is hugely important. Um, and I think that flies in the face of what I would call engineering approaches to yes. organization and human yeah. behavior. Yeah. In, in the end, an organization is, is um, mostly about the people, almost entirely about the people, even, even where I mean, uh, there might be chemical plants and other things involved. Right. You know, can I trust that she will make a good decision? That you'll have the information, the skills, and everything else. I mean, that's really, from, from when you're sitting on the deck of the the aircraft carrier, there's thousands of people who have to make decisions. And have I put those people in a position to be successful? And if I haven't, shame on me. And, and yeah. you know, that's it. You know, do, are they trained? Do they have the information. So yeah, 24 years later, still like the term. Mm. Um, this this almost sounds like an interview question, but it's it's always a fun one. I mean, if you think back about all the different client engagements you've had. Yeah, what what is it about you know, one or more of them that really make them work for you? Whether whether it's a type of work or the the environment in which it takes place or the people with whom you're working. Yeah. It, there's a lot of characteristics, but to boil it down for a, sort of a short podcast, and you know, as the, you know how how many stories I could tell, I, I, I'd sort of home in two of the ones I am most proud of and enjoyed the most. Uh, were my work with Eli Lilly creating the Office of Alliance Management with Nelson Sims and Anton Guth and Steve Twait and Andy Eibling. And my work with a little paper company called Schirler, um, with a little paper mill in upstate New York, uh, Pulaski, New York, north of Syracuse. Uh, the Lilly work was my first large-scale exposure to doing alliance management. Uh, Anderson Consulting had sold them a project based on an alleged set of assets that we supposedly had called Partnershape, which was supposedly a model for doing alliance management that was at best B minus and probably D plus uh, in terms of quality and completeness. Um, the client, Nelson Sims, who was just a great executive um, and, and became a good friend, uh, he and I recognized the that that, that quite frankly, Lily had been sold a bill of goods by Anderson Consulting. Um, and we just dug in and said, well, we've got to make this successful. And we took you know, this, let's, let's call it C-quality asset, and turned it into you know, a great organization. Lily was able to go from the bottom quartile of the two industry surveys of biotech firms as a partner of choice to number one in one of them and number two in the other one mm. less than three years later. I, that Office of Alliance Management has gone through five managing directors, um, starting with Nelson. Um, it is now larger and more substantial and you know, still viewed as a flagship um, across the industry. Um, and I'm more than willing to take at least two or three percent of the credit for that. Um, probably not a whole lot more, but I was there at the beginning and it was a whole lot of fun. And I made a bunch of friends that uh, who, who remain friends and, and colleagues, and I learned an awful lot from the client, um, and they were successful at it, you know, and I think those were all hallmarks, but the Schurler thing, just very briefly, was a tiny paper mill, um, about 80, 90 million dollars a year worth of revenue. I was at McKinsey at the time. Um, I remember in the first week of the project, I had just come back from Germany at the time, and because it was a German paper company with the U.S. mill, I was put on the project as a senior, what McKinsey called an SEM, a senior engagement manager. Um, the controller, a guy named Don Schnackel, took me aside and said, Nick, I want you to understand something. You, you guys from McKinsey are awfully expensive. You are a line item on my income statement. 
and he pulled out the income statement that they submitted to corporate. And one of the lines was McKinsey Project. You know, on an $80 million revenue company, we were a one point something million dollar line item. Yeah. So that was a good challenge. Uh, and long story short, you know, I talked to Don two years after the project. And as a result, in part again, of the work we did with them, uh, they had gone from a 10 to $12 million per annum loss to a 10 to $15 million per annum profitability and contribution to the overall corporate line. And so you know, that was exciting because it was a small company where I could tangibly see not only that we were a big cost item, but that we had really helped them to ring the cash register. Yeah, um, and that's that's the thing that I'm, I'm sensing from both of those stories is, is uh, and it is unfortunately a little too rare in, in consulting sometimes, but you're able to look back at both of those and point to them and say, you know, I can see that we made a difference and it was a lasting difference. Right. And it's always dangerous to, you know, to take credit for things because in the end, the executives who do it are the ones who deserve the credit. Of course. Sure. Um, but I'm now old enough to know and, and that, that I played a role in those and, you know, certain things, certain things I did helped those things to be successful. Um, I also stand in awe of some of the managers who, you know, persisted. You know, when I look what what Nelson had to do and the things he had to accomplish even after our initial work was done. Um, but I've also learned a lot from that, and I think my own consulting is better for having watched what those companies and other clients have done with the advice we gave them. Yeah. Um, and some of the some of the feedback I've gotten has been hard to take, um, <laughs> but when 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 taken appropriately, has led to uh, even better better outcomes. Sure. Sure. Um, let's let's move on before we close out. Let's let's move on to um, to your your partner role in Beyond the Deal. I mean, what we, we've talked about uh, many times the the kind of um, unique nature uh, uh, and the unique qualities that each individual brings to the team. What what would you say is your special ingredient that complements the Beyond the Deal team? I, you know, both for the team internally, but then obviously for our clients and and the business more generally. I bring a set of particular skills, and we've talked about those around understanding organizations and things. So I'm not going to focus on those. I think what I would like to hope that people find when they work with me is I get the I get the best out of people, not in the sense of pushing them harder, but I can help people to to think in a way that takes their ideas places they didn't realize their ideas could go. Um, that you know, it, it's it maybe you, you and I both being chemical engineers, we can think of catalysis, um, <laughs> and, and it's a hard thing to put a, put a handle on. But I have found invariably that when I have a chance to work closely with executives, with consultants, with others, that I can help them to take an idea like, and and to understand how it relates to other ideas, uh, and all of us can go. So what you're really saying is this, and people go, well, that's. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, you know, gee, I hadn't thought about it that way. And you know, it's kind of fun to to push people along, and it's it's more than being a teacher. Um, I think it's being a participant in the process. I think my ability to bring lots of disparate stuff to bear on problems that people might not have thought about, um, you know, how uh, how a classical symphony is organized. Well, how what does that have to do with an organizational change project? Well, you know, I can find a way. Yeah. Um, and it might be helpful to you. So, so I think that I'd like to think that the special thing that I bring to the firm beyond sort of expertise and things 
is the ability to have help people go beyond themselves to places mm-hmm. they didn't think they could get. Um, and to do that confidently and with enthusiasm. So, yeah, yeah that's... Yeah. No, and, and I think uh, you don't need to hope for it. That's certainly something that I see all the time, both uh, both with the clients and then with the team. So, And, and you know, as a partner, um, what would you like to see different uh, in Beyond the Deal, say, three years from now? What do you see as the, the future? Well, yeah, we can talk about size and growth and things. And I think those things are important. And I also think that they're hallmarks of, of having gotten some other things right. The thing I would most like to see and feel best about three years from now would be to, to for a situation to accrue where people three years from now have moved well beyond where they started. You know, that could mean consultants becoming partners or some other level mm-hmm. higher than they are. It could mean some of the folks, and you know, admin is just such a throwaway term that, that bothers me, but, you know, we have... You know, people like Helen and Karina, um, and we have associates like Barbara and Louise. And and I would love to see those people move forward and take on more and more. And 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 you know, see, I I, I take there's few things I take more pleasure in than in seeing other people progress and succeed and 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 go beyond. So. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be the kind of place where people come in and do that. I, I mean, I can remember going into Lilly to tie this back to alliances. When we came in, we were looking at their preclinical alliances. We organized those alliances by various stages of where they were in the pipeline. You know, for yeah. our pharmaceutical companies talk about their development pipeline. And we put them in. And then I asked the interesting question. How many of these alliances started in an earlier phase and moved along the pipeline? And the answer was out of 80 alliances that we dropped into, you know, seven or eight buckets along the pipeline, fewer than five of them had started in one and moved forward. So yeah. most of them were dropped into the bucket where they were and stayed there. And hadn't progressed. Now, some of them had, and that's fine. And so, so Lily created metrics around, you know, it's not just having an alliance at step four. It's having an alliance from step four move in a an expedient way to five, six, and seven. Likewise, within BTD, the most important thing for me, if I could look back three years, five years from now, would be to say, here are six or seven people who are now in roles significantly different from and bigger and more robust than they were in back at the beginning, and that I had some some role in both preparing them to do that and encouraging them to do that. So that's, yeah. that's my vision, if you will, for, uh, cool. for the firm. I could I could go off into uh, doddering old age quite quite happily. <laughs> That's great. Um, we're out of time, but um, thank you very much for that. It was really good, um, and uh, looking forward to the other conversations we're going to be having with other members of the team. But uh, until then, thanks very much for listening, and uh, speak to you soon. Bye bye. Thanks, Carlos. Bye. If you like our podcast, please share, comment, or subscribe to our channel. BTD. From pre-deal to post, we help you go beyond the deal.